Hi, this is Dana Gould, and you're listening to the Walter Paisley Movie House. I stay here whenever he lets me. Welcome to the Walter Paisley Movie House, where we celebrate the little engines that could not. Coming to you live from Nilbog Manor Studios, our music is by Jonathan Harmon, and I am your host, Dylan Roaring. Today, we take off with part two with Rich Brown, a.k.a. Frank Hope from Beyond Vaudeville. We pick up where all good stories should with Suzanne Muldowney threatening two people with a sword. Part of their comedy uh, routine, they did a Dracula bit with, um, you know, book dressed up with the robe and he's, you know, doing this horrible accent. Oh, the blood is <laughs> drowning in my blood. And um, again, this was just by chance. And Suzanne is just seething, like on the side, like watching this. And um, when they came backstage, she chased them down and she had her sword with her uh, for her Vlad the Impaler dance. And she was, you know, kind of holding it up over a uh, book and, and threatening to skewer him. And um, uh, they, I think they got away with a stern warning, um, but um, it, it was a little dicey there. Um, um, so anyway, I, you know, I, I have lots of favorite people that, you know, mm -hmm. and, some of that um, was, uh, you know, it, it, people that made return appearances, mm -hmm. they, it was always a sign that it was somebody that, you know, we um, knew would be fun on the show. Mm -hmm. and, um, William Brown, um, a guy we had on a number of times who um, some people would just found very annoying, but um, he was another guy that I just, um, uh, found to be fascinating you know he he um uh did a he he published a book with um uh the uh, for rca records that had all of the serial numbers for every one of their records mm -hmm. and you could name a title and he would tell you the serial number um he also was really into the um from the old benny hill show the uh, the, the, the women who would pop in and out of mm -hmm. the some women who would pop in and out of the sketches. And, you know, to most of us, you or do I, there's, you know, maybe, you know, six women that would show up at various times on that show. Well, no, someone like William Brown had, um, a catalog of all the women that had appeared on the show and knew everything <laughs> about them. And even if they had just been on for a second in a bikini to get slapped, he knew everything about them. So, um, yeah, any anyone like that that just had um, that was very passionate about mm -hmm. their interests and um, and could really go into it with great detail. I always found that fascinating. Yeah, there's certainly the standouts. Um, I mean, Suzanne Muldenny probably, I think, could be called the unofficial mascot that uh, she was mm -hmm. on so many and so ever present. And I think it's so associated with it. Um, but yeah, the, the people, uh, you, you brought up earlier, um, geez, I've got all these things written down. Yeah. There's the Renaissance man, William Brown. Um, but, uh, like, like we mentioned earlier in Vincent Hayes, the Marilyn Monroe conspiracy theorist who seemed to have no sense of humor about anything at all, but uh, was deep yeah. into the conspiracy theory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny you bring him up because I have within arm's reach here. I can't believe it. Do you have the book? Um, I found out uh, 
you know, I was looking online about M. Vincent Hayes and, um, and I, I knew some things about him, his personal mm-hmm. life, but not too much. And it turns out his, um, his wife wrote a book, Reflections of an Octogenarian. And, um, and, uh, unfortunately there wasn't too much learned here about him other than Mm -hmm. it was, um, uh, he, he had mental issues. Um, and, um, she, um, uh, she, she talks about some of the stuff like that he, so William, uh, um, M. Vincent Hayes was an attorney, um, uh, who, was um, uh, trying to prove some conspiracy theories about who really murdered Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. And um, she t- she writes in the book about how, you know, she just got a call from some hotel in Los Angeles one day saying that her husband was out there, you know, investigating the the murder of Marilyn Monroe. And um, um, so, yeah, a guy like him, I, you know, I it just... Uh, you know, bring him on and let him just let him go. <laughs> theory, you know, we, we had another guy on that um, uh, said he was an inventor, um, Mr. Marchand, and he had a whole plan for uh, battery operated cars. And this was, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> well before our our country started, uh, or at least California now dictating mm-hmm. that to be battery operated cars. And um um yeah we've had cryonicists on and yeah ufo experts you know people that um you know would have these different kinds of ideas and theories and there was the the alien cult um i i it just popped into my head as you were saying that i can't think of the lady who was was part of the cult i can't remember the episode but it was very strange yeah those were the uh raelians yes and they're still around Mm -hmm. i believe and they were based up in canada um and that is a um uh they had a charismatic leader i don't know if he's still alive but uh they had a he had a theory that uh, mankind had been created in uh laboratories Mm um and um yeah, so it you know it it and it was interesting to have people like that on to talk sure. about their theories and and get the reactions from some of the other guests because uh, um, you know we had very opinionated guests and mm-hmm. you know if if somebody took issue with the idea that mankind was created in laboratories, chances are they They're were going to tell you to it in a conversation. I think isn't Ada on that one? Yeah, um, Ada actually. I, I remember yeah. her taking issue. <laughs> yeah, she took some issue because I, I think they also had various theories about nudism or that yeah. they, they condoned it. And <laughs> she had an issue with it. And Ada Love was somebody that, um, uh, yeah, she was just this character in, in New York. Um, and uh, um, she, I had seen her uh in uh, mr mike's mondo video she, oh yeah yeah she showed up very I remember briefly. her from that yeah, yeah. It was like a, a just a quick clip of like people on the street and mm-hmm. you know i saw that sometime in high school and but it was you know i i i just registered her in my mind and then um 
years later when we're doing the show i there was a place called uh trixie's um it was like a um uh a bar where they would have uh performers come in and that's that's where we found mr spoons and okay uh, and and ada ada used to go around um the bar with a uh, a magic wand and she would uh, give them uh, little uh, blessings or wishes and um and <laughs> I, I saw her in like the daily news and you know i was so excited because like there she is you know <laughs> trying to find her <laughs> when when you were finding these people um I, I imagine a lot of them were very eager Oh yeah, I I can go on and show off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, did you ever get any of them there and realize almost immediately I've made a huge mistake? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm uh, not asking you to name names, but if you want to, go right ahead. But I'm just curious. No one is no one is coming to mind, honestly. Um, I, I mean, you know, we had some celebrities you mentioned earlier that, you know, were um uh you know that that didn't stay um, yeah we we had uh uh um, karen lynn gorney karen lynn gorney <laughs> yep uh she uh from we went to get a coke right <laughs> yes yes she looked and she looked over the studio and she said is there any uh soda machine here and uh, maybe she had already looked to make sure there wasn't a soda machine and uh and uh she said all right i'm just gonna go to the corner and, and get it and yeah she never back. um and uh sammy shore uh came looked in our studio uh proclaimed i'm not doing this shit and um and we were still hoping to get them on. We had to start moving and we were always pressured to keep moving. And um, so I started the show and, and I think John, who's our Joey the monkey was talking with him off stage and I could see them through the glass while we're doing the show, going back and forth. And um, uh, so I was hoping that he was still going to be able to reel them in and get them to come on. And uh, he um, it turned out that back and forth was about he had been promised uh, five dollars uh, cab fare <laughs> and he wasn't leaving until he got that. So, um, and uh, let's see who. Oh, when, when we had Kitty Carlisle Hart, um, mm -hmm. we were setting up and she had arrived a little early. We tried to always time it that they would get there right as we were ready to mm -hmm. go. So there wouldn't be a lot of wait time and um um so we were busy setting up the set and uh somebody ran over me and said richie you got to go over um uh william brown has kitty carlisle heart cornered in a corner and um and so i ran over with um her book which i had read you know mm -hmm. in preparation for the interview and and uh it just started talking to her about how I enjoyed her book and mentioning mm -hmm. some of it and, um, and got her out of that situation. And, um, <laughs> and then she, uh, she came on the show. I think she might've left before the other guests came out, but um, yeah. yeah. Was so, it when you, when you were doing the prep for these um, and then getting there on site, you're meeting with them for the first time, are you meeting with them in character or are you rich at that point? Um, a, a kind of a, a little bit of a hybrid. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and, 
um, you know, I mean, a, a lot of what I would do on the show was me, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not quite as in, into science fiction and kind yeah, of, I read where you said the science fiction was a little more Frank's expertise, but not riches. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I turned up <laughs> stuff like that, but in terms of like what I'm thinking and what I'm saying, you know, I, I think especially as the show went on, it just, you know, became more and more me. So it, mm -hmm. it, um, yeah, it, it, it was, um, it was kind of a, a hybrid when I would talk to them and it would usually be pretty brief, just enough to make them feel comfortable. And, yeah. um, uh, and then, but, but again, it was, it was really, uh, there was a lot of pressure to just get started yeah. um, and not, not allow too much time for thinking or backing out. Or, yeah. Cause that, that hour that was set up show tear down and get out. Right. So you had a lot yeah. to do in that hour, that short hour of time over as you got more and more in the groove of things, as you were doing this, did you have the same crew every time? Was it the same camera guy they were giving you? So at least he kind of knew the rhythms and was able to keep up. Well, um, that, that part would be a little frustrating. And, and eventually the studios became comfortable enough with us to let us operate cameras. Oh, um, great. Yeah. Um, and the directors were usually only too happy to <laughs> let Steve do all the calls. And, you know, so, um, yeah, but there were like, you know, technically sometimes because of the rush or, you know, because of the disinterest by the studios, they, some of them liked us, but some of them were just like, it was just a job and they didn't, <laughs> they didn't want to deal with it. They didn't want to deal with anything special. It was a lot easier for them when two guys would come in with suits and just talk about mm -hmm. local politics for a half hour. Um, so <laughs> there were times where they, they just didn't do the basics, like white balance the camera or, or check them, the microphone levels. So so that, you know, that's a frustration because yeah. there be some shows where we had people like the Del Rubio triplets who were no longer with us. And yeah. the white balance is off. The audio is off. And it, it, it Neil Connie Wallace is offending them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Neil Connie Wallace. Yep. I'm kind of I'm kind of low key obsessed with Neil Collins. <laughs> He's I've tried to find anything about him, and there's nothing out there. And we do yeah. a we do a show here in October every year called the Dead Comics, and local comics, including myself, will go and pick a Dead Comics act and do it. And the. <laughs> Year I can confirm whether he's alive or dead. I plan on doing Neil Connie Wallace <laughs> the show just to a confused audience who wonders what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, I you know we try to keep tabs on where everyone is and and um, we have a pretty good handle on a lot of people. But uh, Neil Connie Wallace is one of those people that eludes us, and yeah, uh, there's no um, there's just no digital footprint. You know, so mm -hmm. some of these guys they were performing before internet really took off and it's a shame because they all probably would have had some sort of legacy online but absolutely but yeah that wasn't um it yeah so it, there are some people like him that that we've lost uh track of and and uh it'd be a good that, investigative podcast yes <laughs> <laughs> maybe i'll do that next <laughs> and then there there are some people like uh there was a guy buddy clayton that we had on uh, mm -hmm. times and um 
And, um, you know, Buddy was a, a comic singer and we heard from his uh, daughter um, that when he passed, he lived to be like 96 or something. Wow. And um, she sent us like video of him, you know, by this point, his, his mind had deteriorated, but he would still be performing in the nursing home. And, and, um, uh, and um, she, you know, uh, graciously sent us some photos of his earlier career, his performing oh, cool. career. And um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's really, um, you know, we, we, we'd love to know where everybody is at this point. Sure. But some of them, yeah, we just can't track down. Yeah, I, when you're dealing, especially with with fringe performers, um, especially the, there was kind of a, a renewed interest in outsider music that kind of came up in the early 2000s. I think uh, National Public Radio had a show dedicated to that and stuff. Did you yeah. ever, um, since since you kind of became this guru for the outside element, were were shows like that coming to you for advice? Um, no, I really, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very, uh, aware of who the performers are, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, um, yeah, and, you know, there, there are definitely people that I've, you know, um, you know, there, there, there are people that I feel like I've discovered, you know, mm -hmm. that, uh, that have, uh, enjoyed some popularity, um, as a result, and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm happy for them and glad about that. Um, uh, there's a guy, um, uh, what is his name? I'm blanking on his name. Um, uh, Mr. Oh God. Um, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I can't think of his name. It, it was a guy I, I found him later um after mm -hmm. we were doing the show uh and um uh anyway that yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well i think the the true charm of the show for me is that you are not making fun of any of these people mm -hmm. um you aren't maybe some of the other crew maybe pokes a little bit but the the charm is that you're enthusiastic about their enthusiasm and um I, that's kind of like me. I really like it when somebody's very passionate about something and that shows when you're talking to them, you, you don't ever belittle what they're talking about, no matter how crazy it sounds, you're interested and want to hear it. Is that something that you've always had in you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, you know, like when I first saw a performer like tiny Tim, I didn't, I wasn't looking at him with any kind of, irony or or like you know wondering why people are laughing in the audience you know especially his uh earlier tv appearances you know mm -hmm. they pipe in the laugh laugh in and stuff yeah yeah and um i i mean i just, just genuinely entertained by these people and and um um yeah so um yeah, it's it's uh I I had I had booked a um America's Got Talent had um reached out to me to to find some talent one year and um I I had 
passed along some names, including a guy I had produced at uh, Kimmel, who um, was a, a, a manualist, right? He was like a really yeah. uh, talented uh, hand farter mm -hmm. and um, like really good. And um, he's a, a gunsmith. He has like a gun shop in Detroit, I think, of all of <laughs> And um, uh, so, you know, when I booked him on Kimmel, he had a, a great time. You know, we used to do a segment Future Talent Showcase and it, mm -hmm. and it was, you know, uh, it was a celebration of of the performers, right? And we were yeah. really treating it for as, for what it was, which was like, you know, it's pretty cool how this guy has figured out how to make these sounds with his hands and and can do anything, can do yeah. you know, ACDC, <laughs> Zeppelin, and whatever. And um, anyway, so uh, he called me after his audition and just said, uh, you know. Um, Rich, I don't, I don't know what to do here. I did this audition and uh, Sharon Osborne, who was a judge at the time was just saying these really like horrible things. You know, he said like, she, she, he claimed that she said something like, you know, you, you look like a, a molester or something and, you know, and um, yeah. And I, you know, I felt so bad for him because it was like, I said, well, you know, I don't, you know, I don't feel this way about you. I think it, and I'm, I'm sorry you had that um, uh, experience. And, uh, and I contacted the show and, and, you know, told them about this exchange and they said, Oh, okay. Yeah. We, we understand. And they didn't, they didn't air it. So thank you. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, that's the tendency is to, um, you know, just, uh, to to just not appreciate any performance that is out of the ordinary and, yeah. and isn't the norm and um yeah i just i i can't explain it i really i i just uh it's way more interesting to me to watch somebody who is doing something out of the ordinary than yeah to just watch a very accomplished singer you know hitting just the right notes on mm -hmm. the, the popular song. Like it just doesn't uh, speak to me the same way. I agree. I'm, I'm pretty much the exact same way. <laughs> Give me singular over something that anybody else could do. That's I enjoy that. And it, it seems like the, the trend of that started um, really with shows like American Idol, where it was, you know, you'd have the really talented people who could hit all the right notes, but, First, let's show the freak show and mock and make fun and, and, you know, make them, I mean, you know, a guy like William Hung, who is assuredly not a talented singer, but he's certainly an interesting one. And I'd rather watch that than, you know, somebody do a Madonna song, but, <laughs> uh, you know, for, in, in his case, he was just ridiculed and, yeah. uh, you know, you, you start feeling a little, it gets a little pathetic because he's, you're not sure he's even getting it. And so it's a little sad and that trend has unfortunately continued. So having those a precursor, like somebody like you, who is genuinely interested in these people, has that carried over then? I, obviously with Kimmel, it did. Uh, and, and everything you're doing now, it seems to have carried through with you. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, uh, you know, I had a, a great experience at Jimmy Kimmel Live where it was, you know, it was early on in the shows. Um, 
history and um and you know jimmy was very intrigued by these people too and mm-hmm. um you know he he collects um outsider art you know paintings mm-hmm. and um um so it ended up being a really great platform you know for for me to bring some of these people i was able to bring on you know Wildman fisher i got to meet him yeah and, uh izzy fertel uh, tiny tim's program. izzy fertel is fascinating to me yeah and he you know I, like uh, able to get him on the show or mm-hmm. bob cribby the rock and roll yodeler mm-hmm. um the hairiest man from china who came out and did um edelweiss in broken english and sang edelweiss um so you know um yeah it was it was great having that platform in it and it and it even went so far as the people would get to come and sit on the couch and jimmy would talk to them for a little bit um uh so it was really cool and they and they would get to interact with this you know the celebrity and um yeah and, and i've you know i've i've been able to um uh find venues over the years in in different shows i I worked on uh steve harvey's big time and it was a similar thing where you know steve wanted to just interact with you know these these human interest eccentric Mm -hmm. people and um you know and steve would do his thing with his little faces to the camera or whatever but for the most part it was you know an appreciation of these people um and um yeah so you know there's um i you know i i mean i i grew up with the gong show and and um you know there were people that uh were getting gonged and having their acts stopped but mm-hmm. i think uh it still felt like a welcoming comfortable environment and yeah Chuck Barris, you know, would always kind of be there by the performer's side and would always kind of put his shoulder, his, his arm around his shoulder. And, you know, and, um, and even the, the, the jabs or the barbs that were coming from the judges, it, everything was sort of light. It and, was like Jamie Farr and uh, who else with the JP Morgan. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, yeah. and uh, they all, all kinds of, um uh characters came through there you know yeah. judging um but it just it it was weird it never really felt particularly mean-spirited and yeah. that is yeah. something that did uh rise up with these a lot of these talent shows mm-hmm. uh, um in more recent times yeah uh, but it's still a platform and it's still a it's still a you know an opportunity for people to get out there and give yeah. it their shot. And, you know, William Hung has done all right. I've met William uh, a couple of times and, um, his, his stint on arrested development is absolutely brilliant and wonderful. <laughs> I mean, wow. Great. I know. I haven't seen that. Oh, that's, that's he's on one episode. He see he's, he and the band sing the theme song to mock trial with judge Reinhold. So wow. it's, a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, like I, um uh he and uh Tayson Day, I yeah, Tayson Day did well. Mm-hmm. And I remember did... him on Kimmel. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's doing fine, you know. He's mm-hmm. uh, up in Washington State now and and um you know, so uh, it it uh it's it's what it's what they can make of it too, yeah. you know. And and mm-hmm. um uh you know, I think uh William Hung, 
you know, figured out a way to make that work for him and embraced it and was, you know, was pretty savvy about, you know, getting colleges to hire him for, you know, a considerable sum to sure. go up and do his thing. And, um, yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> I, I don't recommend, um, sharing a, a lunch when he's having tuna fish sandwiches though. That was a little <laughs> hard. To, um, that was a little hard to take. <laughs> Was, was, was the fish just flying? Yeah, just um, it wasn't it wasn't well contained. Noted. All right, I will avoid that at all costs. <laughs> I but I want to. I'm sorry. I jump around a lot here. Um, I get so engaged in the conversation that I forget about other things I want to ask about. But when when you made that transition from public access to MTV. Um, obviously it's going to be a big change. Um, there are people holding a lot of money who are expecting a lot so that the, the chaos of what the show was certainly can't exist in that world. Mm -hmm. How, how much then, um, with, well, with somebody like David having to kind of contain that energy, uh, how did, how did that go? Yeah. Um, well, you know, that was um, that was one of the things we'd go back and forth with, uh, you know, uh, back and forth on with the network um, mm -hmm. was David's role, because, you know, we we did like David the way he was some beyond vaudeville. And um, um, but he um, he did have to tone it down and um, uh, to the point where he was, uh, you know, like catatonic. Um, and, uh, you know, I, that was a new mode that David got into where he was just like, he had some leeway to, to, you know, act up a bit, but he just mm -hmm. chose to go like completely uh, zombie-like still became this intriguing figure. We would just hear constantly like, what is with that guy on the couch? His when facial expressions <laughs> are so strange. The, the, <laughs> Pursed, we my wife my my late wife always called it the asshole mouth. It, his mouth looks like a little asshole right in the middle of his face and his in his jaws jutting out. I I mean I can't imagine the tension he was holding in those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just you know and and um, the the biggest uh, uh, issue you know in in trying to do the uh, MTV show was that we had to do sixty five of them in a very short period of time mm -hmm. so um to fill that kind of um show daily um with you know we had maybe i don't know uh, a celebrity a band and six or seven different performers in between um it was um you know it's something that really would have needed you know more time to kind of go out and 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 do um all the searching you need to do to find you know just the right people for that um when we did the um beyond vaudeville you know we had a month in between shows and it you know so there was time to just really focus on that one show and um but in the case of um oddville we had to shoot you know like three a day and we had wow. to 
book everyone. Um, we could only book people from the tri-state area. We had no, um, were uh, you still booking that show then? Oh, I was very involved in it. I mean, I, you know, I'd be going through my files and bringing in, um, everyone that we could, uh, from the old show. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we, there was also a lot of pressure, of course, because it was MTV to have, uh, young people appearing. Sure. On so, um, we were still able to get a lot of old timers on there, but, um, you know, it, it, it was peppered in among like younger people. So we ended up going to, you know, do a lot of, um, auditions to colleges, you know, hoping to find some, uh, uh, you know, people that we felt really fit the mold of the show and, um, and, and there'd still be, you know, new people coming who we weren't aware of. And just because we never really did auditions for Beyond Vaudeville. So mm -hmm. when we started doing auditions for Oddville, we'd have people come in like the human doormat. And, um, and you know, he came in with a, a vacuum and a, a doormat uh, strapped to his uh, body. And he uh, asked for a volunteer to vacuum the the doormat while it was on his uh, stomach and he was laying down and <laughs> and this guy was a he was a vacuum cleaner salesman a door-to-door -door vacuum cleaner salesman so it you know there there were still some pleasant surprises coming yeah. up but you know in retrospect it just it it would have been very helpful having uh more time to book that show sure i'm i at points were you like feeling like the wayne's world movie where <laughs> It's just, they're changing it. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, the, uh, I, I mean, one of the first things that was, um, uh, non-negotiable was me dyeing my hair. Um, right. I had started going gray at 16 and I've never had an issue with being gray, but mm -hmm. you know, they just, that made MTV very nervous. The idea that they were going to put me on there with graying hair so um so i had to dye my hair and um um but you know i still uh, it's I, it's remarkable to me that we were able to do as much as we did on that show given the environment we sure. were a typical mtv uh program yeah <laughs> I, and you know they i'm sure were the the bigger name guests i'm sure they were pushing people on you um mm -hmm. i i mean like but you had people like alan cumming who i mean yeah. <laughs> well, talk they, about a great guest just yeah the celebrity general. i mean all the celebrity and band bookings were done by the network and you know um our focus my focus was on everybody in between so um yeah. And, you know, the MTV talent departments, they uh, obviously had very good eyes. They knew who, you know, was tracking and was going to be, you know, on the rise. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, and there were people like, you know, Louis C.K. And when mm -hmm. he came on, it was, you know, I frankly, who who is he? You know, right. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, they would track these people down in the um, at clubs downtown and and be mm -hmm. like yeah this is someone that we're that we see you know as as having good potential and yeah yeah so um yeah and, and bands too like you know like blink 182 when they mm -hmm. were these kids from the west coast and and um, chibo motto 
a, a lot of yeah, yeah we had a lot of you know hansen it was like their first live performance and you know the um you had a, uh, I remember a story I read where uh, Sean Lennon came with Chibo Mata because he was dating one of the band members at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It was weird. Uh, they uh, uh, one of the producers came in and said, "You know, there's um, um, uh, he'd, he'd like to meet you, and um, he he used to watch your show on 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 uh, Beyond Vaudeville and." um so yeah it was kind of cool it was like that that would happen every so often you know that did he we, mention that you guys had omar travers on no <laughs> <laughs> for our listeners omar travers broke into yoko ono's apartment so. <laughs> yeah omar travers um he became like a street musician on the west coast somewhere i don't know if he's still doing it but he wow yeah, he yeah, he he scaled. I think he was drinking. I believe he was drinking one night and he scaled the uh, outside of the Dakota. He was a little wiry little guy with uh, um, uh, musical aspirations and uh, got into um, Yoko's apartment. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't remember if she was there or not. Um, that was always, you know, the, the tabloids in New York were always a source of um, uh, of guests for us, too. Oh, know? I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. there would, you know, just certain figures would suddenly be very prominent in New York mm -hmm. City because of the tabloids. And um, um, so it was a it was a great uh, resource for us. Yeah. What well, do you mind if I kind of go through um, a few of the guests and just kind of get your thoughts on them? Sure. I've got, so, yeah. um, gosh, there's so many. But uh, of course, I, I guess your first show, you had Mason Reese who was such an obscure it still is such an obscure offset of pop culture yet so interesting <laughs> yeah yeah mason i mean we're still in touch and mm -hmm. uh mason uh i had seen him as a as a kid i went into a um with my mom we went to a taping of um it was a run through for saturday night live which was oh uh, wow not, not the lauren michael saturday night live but before that uh howard yeah. Cosell was doing a show called saturday night live uh -huh. and mason was there and and i remember him uh outside you know going out into his stretch limo and and uh and then you know years later he was still kicking around in new york and and uh um and uh reached out to him to be on the show and it he didn't I, I don't think he really knew what the show was going to be about. And mm -hmm. I mean, we didn't even know all that much about what the show was going to be about at that point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, we had Suzanne Muldowney there doing right. her underdog dance and, and, um, and yeah, it just was, uh, it was a really fun start for us because cool. Mason, uh, Mason had just the right mix of, kind of um impatience uh <laughs> and yet a playfulness and a cooperativeness uh that just uh kind of clicked and it kind of yeah. i think it, it kind of helped us um uh formulate what the show was going to be having mason there mm -hmm. and so you followed that immediately with al lewis which is one of the more interesting episodes because david 
breaks character throughout. Yeah. Because Al Lewis is riffing on him the entire time. Yeah. It, you know, I really never cared what David would do as long as he wouldn't break character. And, um, and when that happened, uh, it, it made me real uncomfortable. I didn't know if, you know, we had to just stop that, you know, it was very rare that we would ever stop, you know, and, um, but I, yeah, it, it, it wasn't, it, at that time, it wasn't a uh, a good situation as far as I was concerned. I, yeah. I wanted David to just you know keep that mystery going, and um, and once we had a we we used to rerun shows a lot. We would air every week, and we'd recycle tapes, mm -hmm. and um, and I eventually took that out of the the cycle because uh, I I didn't really want people to see David that way, you mm -hmm. know, and. Um, uh, but, you know, eventually, uh, you know, when we started putting these online, people were really responding well to them and figured out oh, what the hell, let's put that one up. Yeah. And, uh, and it just got such great response and Al Lewis was so great and seeing David, you know, I mean, I, I have to imagine if you're watching this show, you're it's most likely you're thinking it's, you know, not real that David and I are not really like that. And mm -hmm. we do hear from people that do buy into it and, and mm -hmm. think that we're, you know, really doing that. But I think, um, I think, you know, a, a lot of people just look at it the other way. So it's kind of fun to, to get to see David, you know, breaking up like that, especially yeah. with, to a, pro like Alo I mean, I mean was, he didn't uh, have a choice I yeah. mean, <laughs> there was no keeping a straight face with what was going on so <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah Al Lewis was you know he was gruff but you know very nice guy and really yeah. um you know I think was uh was you know really nice about just trying to help us you know like he didn't have to do that show he didn't have to host our live show and mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, but he, uh, he was a good, a good sport. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great episode. I mean, it really is. Um, what about now you weren't available for this one, Phoebe Legere and that one, David hosted. Yeah. And I'm not, I don't know what the circumstances behind that were. Um, uh, but I didn't know if you had any interaction with her, or got to, to know her. Yeah. It was very rare that I missed uh, a taping, but yeah, that one I missed. I, I, I believe what happened that day was I had a, um, uh, you know, in apartment buildings in New York, a lot of them have these incinerators where you mm -hmm. have to, you know, stuff everything into a little chute and, and then it goes down to the basement. And I had stuffed a bag with a, um, a cat can lid in it. And it just pierced the bag and cut my thumb open. Ow. <laughs> um, so that, you know, it, it really had to take something like that for me to not show yeah. up. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, rather, you know, since everyone was showing up rather than um, uh, not do the show, we just had David host it and, and, uh, and he kept character. I, yeah. I, again, that was, you know, that, was a frustration for me because we had Suzanne coming there all the way from New Jersey and yeah. David, you know, just decided he wasn't 
he wasn't going to interview her or, or give her very minimal time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Which was in that, character, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it missed, I, I, for me, missed opportunity. I don't know. Like I, I just, I would wear two hats on the show at host, mm-hmm. but I produce as well. So like, I, I some like in a moment like that, I, mm-hmm. it would just, you know, I'd just be like, no, we got to give Suzanne more time and get her interacting. And yeah. So, um, another one where David was having trouble keeping characters, brother Theodore. And again, it's, it's, you don't have a choice when you've got a, I mean, if you're having an intensity contest, brother Theodore is going to, he's going to win. <laughs> yeah. I, and these guys are, you know, that was an uncomfortable show to shoot, you know, because, um, Theodore was so good and so talented and, and, um, you know, uh, to, so it, it was already tense, you know, that, um, um, because, you know, it just, a guy like that, I just felt like, you know, he's going to have limited patience with the puppets and whatever Mm -hmm. we're doing. And, um, so, um, yeah. And I, I, I can't remember if David broke up during that, but, um, he gets very close. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He gets very close, but keeps it contained. Yeah. But, but I mean, these guys were such, you know, I, I mean, the, the talent in, in people like, uh, Al Lewis and brother Theodore and Joey Faye, Larry Storch, um, um you guys you had pat mccormick and jack riley on and yeah. that, i mean talk yeah. about a legend pat mccormick stories are absolutely <laughs> legendary right and, you know. yeah yeah i mean they're just you know really big talent you know and mm-hmm. and um but you know at, at this point in their careers it's like they're they're just not appreciated in the same mm-hmm. way know when they're coming to us and and um and that's you know that's the loss of the many shows that didn't feature them when they could have you mm-hmm. know so yeah um i mean some you know uh al lewis had some renaissance i guess with howard stern and you know it's it's great that that, that a new audience kind of got to enjoy he, he kind of got in with al goldstein and would uh, would end yeah. up in that that weird crew of of Goldsteinites, you know? yeah. <laughs> this weird underground New York erotica yeah. and things. <laughs> yeah, Al Goldstein showed up at one of our live shows at Caroline's, and <laughs> somebody I knew working over there sent uh, an internal. I guess he would talk into a dictaphone. <laughs> he would give notes on whatever he, you know, had experienced the night before, and he. Uh, they sent along his message, which was something like, uh, uh, was stupid. Don't get it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, this is a question that's strictly for me personally. I'm just curious. Mike Anderson, um, was on for our listeners. He was the little person in twin peaks who talked backwards was he really 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 high <laughs> uh, <laughs> his eyes are like 
his pupils are dinner plates and he's so erratic. I'm like, I think he's tripping balls. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he, he hosted one of our live shows also. Yeah. Um, he was always the nicest guy. He really was. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, uh, I don't know if he was high. Um, um, I, not, nothing I was aware of. Um, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, he kind of, didn't he uh, like um, in recent years, he just kind of like put out some manifesto and it's just kind of disappeared. Oh, I don't know. And yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what, uh, what, what happened to him. He had some kind of, uh, he, I think he was um, complaining about um, uh, David Lynch or something. I, I don't know. And then he just kind of disappeared. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'll be looking that up when we're done. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, of course, of the the recurring guests that you had of of what we'd call the celebrity guests, uh, Tiny Tim, of course, Izzy Patel, um, Lady Aberlin, um, Betty Aberlin was was on a few times, uh, and of course, Sammy Petrillo, which I'm saving for last because I'm fascinated with him. But uh, <laughs> Betty Aberlin, of all of them, just seemed to be the one who would roll with the punches and and at, at points seemed stranger than any of the guests you've ever had on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Betty. Betty is uh, she's great, you know, and she um, she she was always a cheerleader for us. She's uh, among the few celebrities that we had on both Beyond Vaudeville and Oddville mm-hmm. we on yeah. as well. And um, yeah, she is. Uh, you know, Betty marches to her own beat. She Absolutely. really does. Um, she, you know, she's been very, you know, we stay in touch and she's been very, um, put off and she, she'll say it publicly in social media about the way she feels that, um, Mr. Rogers and the work they were doing has been commercialized in ways that, you know, he wouldn't have wanted. And, um, weirdly, I, uh, I had met Mr. Rogers and did a little work for him, um, when I was uh, right out of college um, oh. and uh, was um, writing some uh, press releases for uh, Mr. Rogers neighborhood. And I got to okay. go to Pittsburgh and meet Fred and, and, um, and he, he was just like, what you see is what you get, you know, did I, you, did you, had, had you grown up with him? Uh, like you know, we all did. <laughs> I, it's funny. I didn't, I didn't watch PBS as a kid. Um, okay. And um uh, but I did really get into him like in high school, you know, I just sometimes I would just find it uh, really kind of like mellow, like a mellow feeling to just yeah. and watch Mr. Rogers. Very you know? calming. Yeah. Very zen. And, um, so, you know, when I uh, met him at his office, like I was so intimidated and, and uh, I went in and he was seated at his desk and he had just uh, microwaved a bag of popcorn and he, and he just reached it forward and said, you know, would you like some popcorn? <laughs> and I just, you know, I immediately was like, wow, this is just, this is just Mr. Rogers. I, yeah. I'm going to be okay here and it's going to be comfortable. And um, so anyway, it, I, I didn't know Betty or meet Betty at that point. Um, it wasn't until, you know, a few years later when mm-hmm. I found out she was in the phone book and she wow. happened to be living around the corner from me. And um 
called her and invited her to be on. And uh, the first time she came on was with Professor Erwin Corey, another mm-hmm. genius, really funny guy. And um, uh, and uh, she just um, she just got it. She just synced with it, and she just really. Um, uh, she, she was a great guest for us because, um, she, you know, she, she just, she knew how to work with David. She knew how to work with all the guests we would have. She was, she, she, like us, was just appreciative of Mm -hmm. these performers, you know, doing their thing. And, um, so she, she was really, you know, among like the, the real ideal guests for us. She's, it's, she's so enjoyable to watch on that. Um, and, and I grew up on her and, you know, it's, it's one of those where, um, I don't, I think I was in junior high when I, I happened to be on TV and I looked at, it, I was like, wow, lady Aberlin's pretty sassy, you know, <laughs> starting to have, that's like one of your first crushes as you're growing up and yeah. seeing her on there being uh, as much as herself as you can be when you're in a performance atmosphere, mm-hmm. um, you know, watching her mimic David and it's not in a, it's, she's not mocking him. She's trying to figure out what is going on here. What's making him tick. Why does he sit like this? And she'll kind of mimic how he's sitting, trying to figure him out. It's it's you watch her trying to puzzle over all of this and she interacts with the puppets as if she's in the neighborhood of make-believe and, and it's, it's wonderful to watch her on there. Yeah. I mean, we were fortunate in that, you know, she and, and a lot of the like celebrity guests we would get on, it's not like, um, you know, a lot of them, it's not like they were on, it wasn't like they had anything to prove, you know, they had had their long careers and they Mm -hmm. were just, you know, genuinely answering my questions and, um, you know, and, and, uh, and just doing their best to, um, uh, you know, uh, work with the situation. (laughs) Well, and we mentioned tiny Tim and, uh, you, you became very involved in with him and his life and he with yours. Um, you attended his wedding, uh, I believe. And, uh, we had Bill Rabane here, um, the director out of Wisconsin who worked with him on blood harvest. And, uh, he, he talked about, you know, that was one of those things where, Tiny Tim was playing the state fair and he just approached him and said, want to be in a movie? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, off they went. Um, It it just comes across. He was a very approachable guy. I don't know. I don't know if he was or not, but. No, he was. And we would have, um, we'd have lots of long talks on the phone. We, you know, shared an interest in early music. I'd been into music from the twenties, from the time I was a kid. He was an encyclopedia. Oh yeah. Just yeah. an incredible resource. Yeah. And, and, you know, and um, he could talk for a long time about it and all the crooners and he'd be able to answer questions I had about some of them. And, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he, yeah. And, and he, he actually had asked me to be his manager at that point. And um, this was wow. in the nineties, uh, I guess, early nineties. Um, and uh, I just, you know, and Tiny had been through so many agents and managers mm-hmm. and and uh and it wasn't something that I <laughs> saw myself doing or being able to do. Um uh but you know the other thing that he would tell me is that he um there there was a certain amount of self-awareness um with him about uh you know 
some the the image he would project and how he would put on uh some of his um affectations that he would do you know mm -hmm. and um which i found really interesting because i you know he was very genuine and he was very eccentric no no question about it um there was um one time I had to get to a, a drugstore before it closed to get some medicine and, uh, and tiny had called and I said to him, you know, I, I have to, uh, I, I have to go, I have to run in, uh, to drugstore. I'm sorry. I have to, you know, and he, he just was, you know, very curt, hung up the phone. And, um, and then when I tried to call him back, he wouldn't take my call. And, uh, he was living at the hotel Alcott at the time. Um, up on 72nd street. And, um, I, uh, you know, after a couple of calls where it, it just seemed like he was, you know, ghosting me, I, um, left a note in the lobby for him and, uh, and he called me up and, you know, I apologized. I said, you know, explain the situation and, and we were all good at that point, but, mm -hmm. you know, it was just this idea that like all of a sudden the door just like slammed shut, you know, wow. And, he, he just, um, uh, and we, we were fine after that, but it, it just, um, he, he had his, without a doubt, he had his eccentricities and, mm -hmm. um, um, but yeah, I went to his, his uh, last wedding in uh, Minnetonka, Minnesota and, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, uh, where he married Miss Sue and, um, it was sad because he really had, um, you know, I think he had finally, settled down you know up to that point he was still he had ended up out in iowa in this hotel because he was you know uh, he he didn't like what was going on with his uh management i think he was a little nervous about some of the characters he was dealing with there and mm -hmm. and um uh so you know but it so all the way up until that point it had been a life of just um uh, yes, going to the ending up in the circus and, and yeah. um, constantly hustling and, um, and constantly, you know, looking for that next mm -hmm. break that was going to bring him back to 1968 levels. And um, yeah. and um, so, yeah, when he had, you know, gotten married and, and settled in Minnesota, it just seemed like um, uh, it could be a place where maybe he could, you know, find some peace and just enjoy some years and and then unfortunately he passed away not long after that so, yeah <clears throat> so um uh that was a regret that you know we weren't able to get him on oddville as well so yeah he i mean like we said you know he was just so complex of a person um that i think a lot of people looked at as two-dimensional um, mm. because they'd never had a chance to see that side the his i mean just his vast knowledge of, of music like like you said is it uh, un, it's unparalleled really um i'm glad you got to get to know him and spend that time with him though that's that's really great yeah he would you know like on the phone if if we were talking about an old artist or you know uh, Russ Colombo and start talking about the mysterious death of Russ Colombo and what whatever the conversation point was he would just break into a song you know he'd have mm -hmm. his belly by him and and um uh and they they were all from you know from memory like it, it yeah. was uh, phenomenal like what was going on in his mind like musically that he had 
all of this um a lot of obscure like yeah songs from the teens and uh you know that that were all in his head the, mm-hmm. the music and the lyrics and he just really um he had a, a talent that way yeah it's amazing well i i held off long enough we got to talk sammy petrillo so he was a guest <laughs> twice uh <laughs> For our guests, if you don't know who he is, first off, shame on you. Secondly, go right now, stop everything, get on YouTube, find Bela Lugosi meets a Brooklyn gorilla and watch it. Um, he was a Jerry Lewis impersonator of sort, really, um, that Jerry Lewis actually, for the first part, endorsed and then got a little pissed about later. But um, <laughs> he was, it was uncanny how much like Jerry Lewis he was to the point I I screened I screened movies here monthly in Indianapolis and I screened that movie once I didn't give any preamble to it I just said just watch it then we'll talk <laughs> and people were like why isn't he with Dean Martin why they they legitimately thought it was Jerry Lewis which I thought <laughs> would happen and uh, even though in the credits you don't see Jerry Lewis's name people were convinced that was Jerry Lewis he was that good yeah. and uh of course you guys get to him uh he's quite a bit older pretty bitter (laughs) kind of holding on to some resentment what was he what was he like to deal with um well he was um he was dabbling in as a realtor i think um um somewhere north of manhattan in new york and um and i can't you know i for the life of me i can't remember how uh how I first got in touch with him. Um, I, uh, I knew a guy, um, Stuart, who was his, uh, I think his nephew or somehow was related, uh, and was, um, he would, uh, dabble in management, did stuff with like Butch Patrick and some other people. Uh And, uh, I think it was somehow through him that, um, uh, he was able to track down because it wasn't Sammy wasn't on <clears throat> people's radars at this point, you know, right. he, he, um, and, you know, so to find out he was in the area, um, yeah, you know, it was, it was like, well, wow, just have to give this a shot. Cause that movie is sure. fascinating. Right. It's like, it's <clears throat> hard to take your eyes off it. It's um, uh, to, to just see the comparison with Jerry is fascinating to watch, but, just then you got duke mitchell kind of doing a half-assed dean martin yeah <laughs> it's and, it's great you know, for any of us that you know grew up enjoying the bowery boys or any mm-hmm. of these low budget movies it's just fun to watch and yeah and you just go with it and um and, so, and i'll say it's not an original thought others have said this too but it's a, it's actually a pretty good martin and lewis movie if you if you look at it as a martin and lewis film it's actually a pretty solid one <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, um, so, um, we reached out and he, he came to our studio, um, and, um, he couldn't have been nicer. You know, he came, um, you know, uh, dressed in a, a suit and tie and he put a tux on, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Kind of expecting a, um, you know, probably something a little more than, the environment that he wound up in at our show um but he was he was funny you know he was doing his one-liners he was going mm-hmm. with it um we had some 
eccentrics. I think there was a woman who had been in the tabloids for sending love letters to Burt Reynolds or something. And, yeah, uh, you know, and, and he just, he went with it. And, um, uh, and then, um, we invited him back again Mm -hmm. and, uh, he showed up with, uh, this woman and her baby and the woman, uh, Susie, uh, we found out was his then comedy partner. And I guess his live-in partner as well. Yeah. It wasn't stated that way, but it seemed pretty uh, clear. And, uh, and, he uh he wasn't so this was a different he was a little different the second time because Mm -hmm. he didn't wear the tuxedo he didn't have his teeth i don't think um uh, (laughs) and uh and he had Susie and a baby with him and um and the uh you know it was always weird like when somebody would bring a baby because we didn't have any place to put a baby um, <laughs> other than behind the couch with the puppets or something and um so you know they had the baby out there with them for mm-hmm. the interview which was you know challenging and <laughs> david is glaring and swinging and i you know so i was nervous for the anytime there was a baby out there i was nervous yeah. with david and was he gonna somehow hurt the poor kid or you know sure and, um so he was really that erratic that you thought that might happen. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, wow. that was, you know, like, and maybe not intentionally, but just, you know, well, I, some, yeah, I wouldn't think he'd intentionally punch a baby, but <laughs> some from some wild kick or a swing or when he's like, you know, getting physical with, with another guest uh-huh. or with Joey, the monkey, or, you right. know, he, you know, um, uh yeah it definitely it definitely would make me nervous um sure. <laughs> you had a couple um, shows like that rick derringer showed up with like a, a a trophy wife and a child a young child and he was yeah. trying to push some single that he made you endure <laughs> yeah rick derringer he's no longer with her and uh that kid is all grown up now yeah, um, yeah there was him there was another guy we had uh aaron pie man who um he was uh like a yippie who had some notoriety for showing up and putting pies in the face of public figures yeah yeah um, and he was a big guy, big bearded guy in a tie dye shirt. And uh, he brought his uh, daughter with him. And that was <laughs> awkward. Uh, and he has the only he has the distinction of being the only guest we ever had who actually fell asleep during the show. Um, there was a point where I um, thought I heard snoring. And uh, sure enough, Aaron is there <laughs> with his chin and his just um asleep so uh his daughter, I, think, I think suzanne does in the uh the revival show you did at the moma uh she definitely falls asleep a couple times during that one oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but by then she's much older and she's tired i got it i was like girl i'd be asleep too <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's i don't late. know what suzanne it's it's funny she was going through a weird point when we did that uh when we did that reunion show and um i i think she's i think she's back uh 
up to speed a, a, a bit. I more. heard a, I heard a more recent interview with her because I thought I was kind of concerned too when I watched that. Um, yeah, and then I heard a more recent interview actually preparing for this, and I'm like, okay, she sounds more like she's got a little fire under her again. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a weird. You know, it was nighttime, and she was she would. She had to, uh, she was driven from New Jersey over to Philadelphia where we did that show. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't think she was quite herself. Um, yeah. Still, you know, still had her wonderful moments, but yeah, not just a little sleepy. <laughs> um, I'm gosh, Rich, we've been going for two hours. Um, oh, and oh. I could, I could talk this stuff forever though, but, oh. um, <laughs> how did I have to ask about putting on the hits? You you were on putting on the hits, doing <laughs> I believe a Dean Martin song. Is that what you did? Uh, I can't remember did, now. Uh, Perry Como. Perry Como. Papa loves Mambo. Yep. There we and, go. Uh, and I was accompanied by uh, Steve, who mm -hmm. is our director in the booth, is short guy, and John, the tall guy, uh, who became Joey the Monkey. Joey the Monkey. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I we remember when we watched that, my girlfriend went. That's got to be Joey the Monkey. Wow. <laughs> she was impressed. <laughs> well, he's so tall. I mean, like it has to be. <laughs> yeah, that's wow. I'm impressed. Um, yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> did that uh, just out of college. And um, it just was, uh, yeah, it was a goof. You know, we, yeah. figured, we went to a local mall um, on Long Island and auditioned, figuring they'd never take us because. Everybody was doing Prince and Madonna. Right. <laughs> and uh, they flew us out and we won and we got to come back again for the championships and lost to uh, a James Brown impersonator. So. <laughs> well, you're always going to lose to that. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's a it's an incredible achievement uh, to have to have done what you did so early in life, I'm sure. Uh, if as you're looking back now are you just kind of like i, I talked i hung out with al lewis i hung out with tiny tim i mean you you did some things that are definite bucket list items for nerds like me so i'm wondering if that if, i'm if, i'm very grateful for the opportunity and i and i really um you know it's as much as i enjoy working professionally in tv it's you know there there's so many things about those days that i miss and sure. you know and really um uh very fond of you know all the the things we did and great memories associated with it and yeah and meeting so many of those people and, mm -hmm. and uh um they you know they were just so much a part of my life growing up and then getting to meet them and, and, and actually, you know, have some kind of interaction with them doing the show. It was, um, uh, yeah, it was great. And I'm, I'm glad that people like you are, are catching it, you know, oh. on, on, uh, online and, and it's, you know, finding a new life and hearing from people around the world, now and young people mm -hmm. it's just it's really cool it's uh it's it's something uh very gratifying well, that's great every so often i'll hear from you know somebody that wants to uh revive not not beyond vaudeville as is but like mm -hmm. some form of it and uh and there's there have been some stirrings again and we'll we'll see i mean it's um there's never I've, you know, I've got so many working on, um, you bet your life. I've just mm -hmm. been 
back in the weeds, you know, trying to find yeah. eccentrics. And so it's, um, yeah. I imagine doing a show like that's kind of like doing Beyond Vaudeville because you are looking, I mean, like the original show, you're looking for people who are performers to come up and yeah. be contestants. Yeah, some of them, and and but just eccentrics, you know, who are mm-hmm. going to have stories that Jay's going to have fun with, and yeah, and, um, you know, it's uh, um, it's done two seasons, and we're hoping there'll be a third, um, and um, um, like in in the second season, uh, it was getting it's a syndicated Fox uh, syndicates, mm-hmm. and you know the first season I think they were thinking leaning toward more conventional people um, just because that's the default that TV executives go to, you know, and, um, but, you know, we would get some in there, some eccentrics, and then they would see the value of it and what Jay could do with it. And Mm -hmm. so season two, we have a lot more. And I think um, it's, it, it's more in line with what the show should be because, you know, Groucho had some great, uh, character oh. on there you know and that weird guy with the big eyes and oh yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. phyllis diller was on one a very young phyllis diller yeah 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 is it I... is it frustrating for you someone who is as as well versed as you are in old hollywood especially something like you bet your life when you're dealing with executives who are probably younger and probably have no idea that there was a show before this one <laughs> Yeah. yeah i mean i just presume that um there isn't you know that there that there isn't much knowledge of the history on these mm-hmm. things and um you know uh i did a um worked on a revival of uh, beat the clock and um it was awesome because i was able to you know get the Fremantle archives and mm-hmm. look at all the old shows wow and cool you know, and they're so fun and you know and there just was, um, you know, in those earlier days of TV, there was just, there was more of a, uh, they tended to appreciate or gravitate more toward people that they knew were going to deliver, you know, funny moments just because they were mm-hmm. such characters, you know? Yeah. And, um, and yeah, that's, it, it, it's, it's harder to, yeah. to get that stuff through and it's, and like I said, the appreciation for, you know, what came before is, yeah. uh, it doesn't, doesn't really exist. <laughs> yeah. That's too bad. Yeah. I, were you a big fan of Ernie Kovacs? Yeah. 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 Sure. I would have, I, mean, I just kind of guessed. <laughs> yeah. All the old stuff, you know, Sid Caesar, Ernie Kovacs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I, I mean, really, this is the stuff I watched as a kid. I, I wasn't, yeah. you know. I, I, uh, I mean, I guess I saw, I watched the sitcoms too that were popular at the time, but like uh, the old stuff was the stuff that always really. Well, you had like the million dollar movie that would come in and, you know, you'd watch the same Marx Brothers movie every day for a week, yeah. <laughs> stuff like I mean, that. We had Abbott and Costello every Sunday at 1130, mm-hmm. you know, in the morning. And um, was that the TV show? Uh, no, they they would show their movies, the movies. Um, in New York uh, every every Sunday morning at eleven thirty, and mm-hmm. then that would be followed by um, Bowery Boys, and yeah. you know, um, yeah, I don't I don't know this. It's a weird thing. It's like I've heard R. Crumb talk about this on his podcast. You know about um, 
trying to get to the root of what it is about that early stuff that just, you know, spoke to him and influenced mm-hmm. him a lot. And he, he thinks it might be tied to just um, little rascals at a young age and hearing that all the Shields music and mm-hmm. um, just is kind of like a start starter, you know, gateway drug into this stuff. And, but, you know, I, I, I really, I remember watching, Joe Franklin as a little kid and Franklin would show um, uh, he would show clips of um, uh, Keystone cops and Laurel and Hardy. In addition to his like uh, interviews and talk, Mm -hmm. talk show. So um, yeah, it just kind of, you know, I, it just is something about it. I just love the whole feel of um, the earlier stuff. Yeah. Simpler times and less and like it, and with somebody like kovacs it was somebody who got the medium before anybody he yeah. he understood the power of it and what you could do with it and was doing um you know video trickery and and things that no one was doing with television at the time it yeah it was so innovative and ahead of its time yeah no it's really uh cool to see that stuff that you know when pbs kind of unearthed it you know and mm-hmm. started showing it um well they almost lost it all because they were burning them they they were getting rid of a lot of and Edie adams was called by somebody at the studio and said they're they're destroying the tapes and she came and saved what wow. she could from it so we almost lost all of it but uh luckily she um, got in it, there and saved it yeah i used to uh go to um the museum of it was then the museum of broadcasting uh the paley center now yeah, yeah and they had um they had really cool stuff of like you know unedited um uh morning shows that he did in new york oh wow cool and where the i don't know if they're on youtube i haven't looked but the pacing of it was just it it was it was different you know because mm-hmm. it wasn't um you know, the, the, the clips that we've gotten so accustomed to of the water cooler montage and the night, yeah. like they're really like, you know, they're, they're finely tuned cut bits. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but watching him just do his morning, I think it was like in Philadelphia, he had a morning show, um, uh, was, it was really fun. And it was a whole nother side of him because it was just him very loose very you know no pressure to to rattle off a joke a minute you know the mm-hmm. set was kind of bizarre he had like um uh, like a suit of armor and yeah you know, um just weird kind of stuff kind of kind of like you get a taste of it with like letterman's morning show and his mm-hmm. earlier yeah. stuff and um but yeah that that stuff that Kovacs did, I found really interesting. Yeah. Um, he had one, I remember there was one where he had this uh, person in a, a cat suit um, playing cat's cradle, like, and it was just off on the side, like while the show was going on, you know, um, just, yeah, just weird. That's great stuff. Like, it, it, yeah. It, it, and, you know, how that broke through, I, I guess it just was, the audiences were just so small that, you know, yeah. a lot of people putting there their- weren't many channels. That was just the only thing on a lot of times. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, so I, you know, it's 
so I think when Letterman tried to do it, it was like it, you know, it was a different world. It was a different environment. And, yeah. you know, the stakes were higher and, you know, women watching in the morning weren't going to, you know, didn't want to watch that. And it was mm -hmm. too weird. And yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, I, you know, if you ever want to come back on and just talk old New York and old Hollywood, I'd love to have you back just to do that. <laughs> this, oh, sure. this has been great. <laughs> Uh, listeners, uh, as we said uh, earlier, you can find them uh, all on YouTube. Uh, there's a Beyond Vaudeville channel you can go to. There's a great Beyond Vaudeville change, uh, page on Facebook uh, where nice little history tidbits come through. Um, it's it, I encourage you all to go out and, and find it if you haven't yet. Uh, I want to quickly give a big thanks to Frank Santapadre, our mutual friend who helped set this up. Um uh, He's a, he's a great guy. He's a, he was actually a guest on the show too. And, uh, he did a great job. Um, so I, he mentioned at one point in passing, Oh, that's my friend, Rich Brown. I was like, oh, note that I'm going to come after you for that later. <laughs> oh, Frank is awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. This is, this is, I, people, my friends were so excited that they're like, you're probably going to get to talk to him. <laughs> Yeah. I wouldn't shut up about it. <laughs> uh, well, thanks, Dylan. And I, I'm I'm shocked that uh, that uh, that you or anyone wants to hear this much about this show. But uh, <laughs> uh, hopefully, we can find at least two or three others out there that'll. Uh, I, I think I can get there. you maybe one body, at least one person <laughs> to come in and check it out. So right, for one. <laughs> thanks. I I really appreciate your time, Rich. Thanks okay, a lot, Dylan. I'll thanks. be in touch. You bet. Sounds Thank good. you. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. That was Rich Brown. That was just a lot of fun for me. I hope it was just as much fun to listen to. Uh, I could have talked to him for hours. Uh, I hope you guys, uh, if you haven't checked out Beyond Vaudeville yet, give it a look. It's just a lot of fun. Uh, that's going to be it for a while. I don't have any other in the can, and I don't have anybody booked. I'm working on a couple of bookings. There's a good chance uh, next episode will be up sometime uh, early in the new year. Uh, so we'll just consider this a holiday hiatus. Hopefully, I'll uh, be back with you soon. Uh, if you are in the business in some way and know people who might be interested in doing a podcast like this and who have some uh, cult movie or cult TV cred, feel free to send them my way. You can find us on Facebook with the Walter Paisley Movie House, on Instagram at WP Movie House. Or you can email me at wpmoviehouse at gmail.com. As always, thanks for listening, everybody. I hope that uh, the upcoming holidays, if you celebrate, that you're enjoying them. If you don't celebrate, that you're still enjoying yourself. And you're getting out in the world for the holidays and the new year. And when you do, take care of your servers. Because this is the Walter Paisley Movie House, and we do not piss on hospitality. <laughs>